0: From WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, welcome. I'm Warren O'Destillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Phyllis Peterson on October 27, 2014. Phyllis is president and creator of Skylark Publishing Company, which has offered materials to family violence shelters across the United States since 1989. Phyllis has conducted workshops internationally on anger alternatives, protective behaviors for children, stories of women and girls as heroes and How Acknowledgement Heals Families. She is also an illustrator and author of several books, including Assisting the Traumatized Soul, Healing the Wounded Soul, The Heroic Female Spirit, A Collection of Nine Tales, Remaining Faithful, and Seeking the Spiritual Reality of the Mentally Ill, the Physically Challenged, and the Emotionally Wounded. We talk about these works in the interview. I started the interview by asking Phyllis where she grew up and what was it like growing up there.
1: I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, about 90 miles from Chicago. I have many memories from early childhood. One of them in particular is the fact that I was sexually abused by my father. I had to learn how to overcome that. I have many happy memories of childhood. I have uh, five brothers and sisters. I grew up to be encouraged to go to a Baptist church, and I loved my time there. I was a soloist from eight years old at the Baptist church, and the organist there took me under her wing. I had many mentors that encouraged me in my music, and I had an English teacher who encouraged me in my writing. And I didn't know at that time that I would become an author. There was one time in class that this English teacher defended me. and I had never in my life had anyone defend me, and I was so honored. It encouraged me again in my writing. And I grew up living next door to my grandmother and grandfather and My grandfather taught me to respect the Bible, and they, I believe, would be my first spiritual teachers. They moved to California, and I was left brokenhearted in Rockford, Illinois.
0: How old were you when that Uh, happened?
1: I was probably 11 years old when they moved. As I lived next door to them, I had watched her cook, and that became the love of my life, to be a... A chef and I cook international meals and have tea parties even today and cook meals for 40 people and serve 15 different types of tea. It's something that I do in my Baha'i community. I learned so much from my grandmother that it shaped my life.
0: You had brothers and sisters. Were you the only one that was molested by your father?
1: No, I wasn't. No. Mm -hmm. In fact, my older sister told my mother about it, and she put a stop to it. I was about eight years old, and of course, nothing was known about sexual abuse in the 50s. There was a book that came out in 1979 that became an instant classic. That's when all of the talk shows came out with sexual abuse of children after this classic book came out. So then support groups then came up and people were educated as to how to treat this and the whole field of psychology was transformed because of this.
0: Did you go to college or university after high school?
1: No, I did not. I had three children that I had to raise, Mm. and I had to work a job. I worked at a radio station for 15 years. I was a continuity director. I wrote copy. I recorded my own copy. I did voices. I had 35 different character voices.
2: So
0: how, (laughs) how old were you when you started radio?
1: Well, the first radio experience I had was in Okinawa, I was an Air Force dependent at that time. I was in a play for um, one of the officer's clubs, and there was a man who approached me after the play and asked me if I'd be interested in working for AFRTS, which is Armed Forces Radio and Television Services. And I said, well, why are you asking me to do volunteer work for the radio station? And he said, because you were the only one on stage who enunciated properly so I could understand every word you said.
0: <laughs> How old were you?
1: I was about 25 years old. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: When did you start writing?
1: 1973. When I was in second grade, I thought that I wanted to be a writer after I had written a one-and-a-half-page play about a little girl who kept asking her mother why. And I thought, gosh, this is neat. I wrote this. And then when I was in fifth grade, I tried to write again, and I couldn't write. When it was in middle school, it was difficult for me to write. At seventh grade, I thought, I just haven't lived long enough and had enough experiences to know what to write yet. So I'll wait. And then in 1973, I wrote a story called Skylark, the Bird Who Learned to Fly. And it was really autobiographical. Then I decided to make a puppet show out of it, which I did at the Unitarian Church. And then we showed the puppet show uh, on Easter Sunday, and Skylark the bird was hooked to a, an eye screw, an eyelet screw, in the top of his head. And at the end of the play, there was a man at the side of the church that had a fishing pole, and he kept reeling Skylark up, 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 and Skylark flew across the audience. And then I wrote a sequel to that, Skylark, From Violence to Feelings, because Skylark didn't know how to handle anger. To do that, I prepared, I I studied anger for six or seven years, and then I taught anger management or anger alternatives, at the uh, community college that we had here. Then I used that knowledge that I had gained in writing my first book that was published by the Baha'i Publishing Trust in Wilmette, Illinois, which is close to where the Baha'i House of Worship is.
0: What was the name of that book?
1: Assisting the Traumatized Soul.
0: Maybe you could tell us your story on how you found out about the Baha'i faith and became a Baha'i.
1: Oh, that's an interesting story. Well, let's jump back to when I was eight years old at the First Baptist Church. They told me in the First Baptist Church that the people in the East were going to hell because they were heathen. And I said, well, how can they be heathen? And they told me that because they didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't like that idea. And I thought it was unjust that God would do such a thing. And then when I was transferred over to Okinawa, I sang in the choir with people from all kinds of religions. All the religions that the Baptists were saying were going to hell. The Catholics, the Lutherans, the Methodists. And then I met and became friends with the Okinawan people. And um, they treated me like royalty. They loved me. And I began to know that they were not heathen, that they were wonderful parents to their children, and that they had good morals. Now, this is not to say that there isn't a downside to every country that you live in. There are people who need to be guided. But the people that I met were friendly, and they trusted me. They drew me into their family life. They welcomed me. And so I thought, how can it be true that God would punish these people just because they hadn't recognized Jesus? They were Shinto. They were Buddhist, They were my friends. And then when I went back to the United States, I didn't know where to go to church because every church was uh, exclusive rather than inclusive. I was troubled by that. The husband that I had married was a Nazarene, and the Nazarenes were exclusive at that time. I don't know what they teach today. We went to a Rosicrucian service, and to see if that would be a a thing that we might be able to become part of. They talked way over my head. They had an evening where they said, they handed out pieces of paper for you to fill out to ask you what would you like to be doing in the next five years, and what would you want to contribute to the world. And I found that exercise very useful I said that I wrote down that I wanted to be a teacher. Ever since that, at that moment, as I filled out all the thoughts that I had about that, doors started opening for me in that direction. And then I came back to Rockford from Texas, where we were living at the time. I tried going to the Unitarian Church. I found I really believed that God sent a prophet I didn't want to be a member of the Unitarian Church, and I kept looking and searching. And I went to the Jewish synagogue, and that wasn't the right place for me. And then one day I saw an article in the newspaper about a Baha'i fireside, and I thought, maybe this is something I would be interested in. And then I asked myself the question, is this just one more thing to take me away from Jesus Christ? And I went anyway. And when I knocked on the door, the woman opened the door to to me, and she grabbed me, and she gave me this bear hug where I thought all my ribs would crack. And that was my first moment of meeting of Baha'i. And that evening they explained the 12 basic principles of the Baha'i faith, such as God is one, that he sent all of the different religions, that mankind is one, and all the religions are one, sent progressively for mankind's evolutionary changes. Then I read in one of the books of Abdu'l-Baha, Baha'u'llah's son, that he, where he said that children should not be vilified that it would pervert their character and that is something that appealed to me because I had never seen other than spare the rod, spoil the child from the Bible I thought now, this is a religion that is making me think about the fact that I can't blindly imitate what has gone before but I, I had to use another principle that they said that evening independent investigation of truth. So here I was where I had a moment in time where I had to think for myself. And up till that time, I had followed directions from other people. Even raising children, I was following other people's directions rather than thinking for myself on how to raise these children. And that verse of Abdu'l-Bahaz appealed to me Because it was a change for my life. My whole way of thinking was coming under this change that was going to occur. And then as I studied more and more, I realized that I was doing things in my life that had to be changed because of the sexual abuse in the early childhood that I experienced.
0: What kind of things did you feel you had to change?
1: I had to gain control over some of the habits that I had formed. So this was my responsibility. I could no longer say that I act this way because of what happened to me in my childhood. I had to say, this is current, this is me, this is now, this is my responsibility to change my behavior, regardless of what happened to me as a child.
0: And so you were studying the Baha'i Writings.
1: Yes. And the more I studied them, the more my writing ability grew. I could no longer read the writings of Baha'u'llah without creating something on paper. It was that powerful for me.
0: And so what were you writing when you first started studying the Baha'i writings?
1: I started writing poetry.
0: You wouldn't happen to have one of those early poems handy, would you?
1: Yes, I do. This is called transcending a prison. Once my soul was wed to the remembrance of the beloved. Once my heart reflected the light of the eternal sun. A tender love was born, a cherished inner meaning unveiled to all the servant of the beloved one. Now somatic barriers can never stand between us. Beat on my heart, beat on till death us free. My soul, like caged bird, beats its wings against its gale. Hush, don't struggle. Let the beloved deliver you. Transcendence involves trust. Submission is the key. Bow before his holy word. Partake of his melodies. Then you'll soar above the corporeal and enjoy a mystical paradox, a captive in the dust, yet at his throne a devotee.
0: Very nice. Thank you. So how long did you study the Baha'i writings before you decided to become a Baha'i?
1: Well, I was a Baha'i, became a Baha'i in 1969, I left or became inactive in nineteen seventy two. But I had a deepening in the writings of Baha'u'llah and Abdul Baha that guarded me while I was inactive. I came back to the faith after I had gone through a tremendous upheaval in my life. I got a divorce, my Beloved dog died and my father died all in three month period. And I had a lot of, of changes that I was going through and it was an emotional upheaval. But I trusted in God and I prayed that he would guide me through these difficult years. At one point I was hospitalized in a psych unit. For a week, I kept thinking, is this punishment for me? But it was not punishment for me. It was a, a time of opening my mind to the fact that I was keeping the secret of the sexual abuse. I had told no one. I didn't even tell my first husband because I thought no one would want me because of the fact that I had been abused. So I got out of the hospital and I had to find work because I had three children to, to raise. Then Baha'u'llah, who I believe was still guiding me, brought a Baha'i to work at the radio station where I was working. And I was faced with the Baha'i faith and this wonderful young man working with him closely every day. And then I decided to go back to an elderly Baha'i. I I went to their house and I asked Elsa for a copy of the book Gleanings from the Writings of Baha'u'llah. Elsa was very happy to give me the book. I went home and I went page by page by page. And then I realized that Baha'u'llah wanted me to become active again. So I went back to the community and 1982, 83, something like that. Meanwhile, I had married my current husband, and he was so worried because he thought it was a cult. So I had to comfort him, but he was very worried. Oh, he says he doesn't think it was a cult. (laughs) It was just different.
0: (laughs) So when was it that you wrote... Your first book, Assisting the Traumatized Soul.
1: Well, that book was written, researched over a period of years while I didn't even know I was researching. I had no idea what emotions were all about. I took a parenting course at the Y. And one evening they spent three hours on feelings and emotions. After that evening, I realized that I had been trying to keep my children from showing emotions about the divorce that we went through. And then I realized that I had to express my own emotions, and I went back to Skylark, The Bird Who Learned to Fly, to see what emotions I had written into that book, the feeling Skylark had. And Skylark showed no emotions about being abused. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to make this better. I've got to change it. I've got to expand it. So I expanded it and I put feelings in where they were appropriate for, for his abuse. That's when I wrote the second part of Skylark, uh, Skylark from Violence to Feelings. And that was part of my research for assisting the traumatized soul. And that was like in 1972, 74, 74. And then I decided to take another parenting course. And they asked me, well, why do you want to have a parenting course when your children are all raised and gone from the house? And I said, because I want to be a better grandmother to my grandchildren, if I have grandchildren. I learned so much from that. And so that was part of my research. Then my anger management and alternatives. I studied that for six years, as I said earlier. That was part of my research for my book. And I have a wonderful quote from Assisting the Traumatized Soul, Anger and Rage, if you'd like to hear that.
0: Yes, please.
1: This is what anger and rage is like for a person who has been abused and doesn't understand the purpose of anger. Suddenly, I hate the world. I feel anger not only at someone or something in particular, but at the whole world. I can't let go of my anger. I can't shake it because I don't know what's causing it. I let my anger spread to other people even inanimate objects. I find myself getting angrier and angrier, striking out at whatever is in front of me. I feel confused. Things don't make sense. I feel disoriented or lost. I don't know what I need or what I want. That came out of a book that I was studying at the time. And here's what I wrote from Assisting the Traumatized Soul. How is a noble human being reduced to such a state? Surely a human being, the highest value in creation would be fully conscious most of the time and be capable of making moral choices rather than lost in this confused extreme. Need fulfillment becomes the powerful humbler of those who rage. But how do we fulfill that of which we are not conscious? And once we become conscious, that of which we tremble in fear... For to rid ourselves of irrational anger, we must first know what it looks like, face that which we fear, and claim that which we lack, the crucial powers that will help us fulfill our basic human needs.
0: Thank you. The second book that you wrote, Healing the Wounded Soul, when did you write that one?
1: I wrote that in um, 2005. And in that book, I have a chapter on intergenerational healing. You know, as I've talked, I've revealed the fact that I wasn't the best mother. So even though I had achieved some healing on my own, my children were still wounded from that part of me that was wounded. So I wanted to figure out a way of uh, helping them. And one day, my daughter was so frustrated with me that she began to just ream me out. And I listened and I listened and I listened and I decided this child, though she was no longer a child, she was fully grown an adult, perhaps in her 30s, all this child needs is for someone to listen to her, not feel guilty, but to to just listen, not to shame, not to do anything other than listen. After she got through doing that, I began to acknowledge point by point by point, sixteen points exactly, where. She accused me of uh, harming her. So I acknowledged each of those points without shame, without guilt, without any other defense, without going into defense mechanisms. She was crying as I did this. When I was done, she said, could you write that out for me? And I said, I'd be glad to write that out. So I wrote it out, and I showed it to Prevention of Child Abuse Office in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. And she wanted a copy of it, and other people wanted a copy of it. And so I printed it and brought it to a printer, made a 1,000 copies in a little booklet. and. I told my daughter what I had done, and she says, you had no right to do that. That is my story. You can't do that. So I had them shredded at the printing office, and I rewrote it for each of my children, sent that to them, and then I rewrote it a fourth time. Had that printed, all the child abuse prevention offices in the United States, in the Uh, are using that today. And then I wrote something for myself. And I'll read that to you now.
0: Is that part of healing the
1: wounded soul? Yes. If a woman can pursue her good against all odds under the harsh gaze of all those she loves, all those who love her, all those who don't care for her, even those who don't know her, giving them their right to judge her every moment, every memory, every mistake on the way, and still find a way to love herself, take responsible for her growth, and continue pursuing her good and the greater good, she will find that her self-esteem is a light that radiates from within, not from without. I have this, and I wish it for you.
0: Very nice. Thank you, Phyllis. You're welcome. So then that takes us to a third book that you wrote. Yes. The Heroic Female Spirit, A Collection of Nine Tales. Yes. So what inspired you to write this book, and what is it about?
1: The fact that I was working the uh, rockford area arts council they gave me a lead on a summer job they asked me if I'd be interested in conducting um a heroic class teaching junior youth about heroism and I think I I had the stories all written out I called them the life of the heroic girl at that time I took that class and I took those nine stories and I wrote out questions for them that the questions could be discussed during each week that that passed for that class, which there were like 10 classes. So I conducted that class for 10 weeks. That was the end of that. It was conducted at a library and the um, Y supervised it. And then I just put the whole thing away When I was writing Healing the Wounded Soul, we were finishing up with that, and my editor, Terry Cassidy, who's now deceased, said, Phyllis, what else could we add to Healing the Wounded Soul? And I said, well, I've got this paper on chastity, and she said, send me that so we can read that. And she told me, Phyllis, I would have wanted to have this when I was a teenager. And she says, what other goal do you have? And then I told her about the intergenerational healing. She said, send me that. Then she asked me, what other goal do you have? And I, I had a workshop on uh, protective behaviors for children. Send me that, she said. So then we had everything for healing the wounded soul. And she said, "So, do you have any other gold you haven't told me about? And I said, yes, I have the Heroic Female Spirit, a collection of nine tales. Please send me that. I'm highly interested in that. After I sent it to her, I went off to to China to travel teach, which is kind of like a pioneer teaching pioneer to a foreign country like missionaries do. So I went off to China. I get an email, in China from her saying that they've accepted the heroic female spirit, can I give them permission to start working on it before I even got home from China? And I said, of course. I was already on cloud nine being in China, and then I was over the top with a new book out. Very nice. (laughs) It was a very exciting time for me.
0: So do you have a passage from the heroic female spirit, a collection of nine tales, that you'd like to share?
1: Yes. Yes, I do. There's a girl in the story who's been captured in a cave by whispers.
0: You said captured by what?
1: Captured in a cave by whispers.
0: Whispers? Yes. Uh Uh-huh, interesting.
1: Yes. And she's afraid to go out of the cave. And every time she attempts to go out of the cage, the whispers pull her back and she doesn't know what these whispers are. She is befriended by an old woman who is trying to help her because she sees the longing in her eyes as she looks at her from the mouth of the cave. And she prays to the Great One. And that night, there's a big rainstorm, and the old woman wakes up a tree outside her door becomes illumined by lightning and this branch falls off of the tree and it's just incredibly golden from the lightning that struck it. And the old woman picks up the stick and there is a lightning bolt that comes from it and the thunder comes from it every time she shakes the stick. And she wants to give it to the girl. She The next day, she brings that stick up early before dawn and brings it to the mouth of the cave. When the girl awakens from her sleep, she stretches and gets up and goes to the mouth of the cave, and she sees the stick. And she says, I can use that stick to stoke my fire tonight. She picks up the stick and... And there's a, a rush of air that surrounds her and thunder clap. She becomes frightened. And then all of a sudden, the whispers come and surround her. And she says, what is this stick? This stick is magic. And she shakes it and she hears thunder again. And the whispers grab her arm and try to take the stick out of her hands. And she loses it for a moment and clatters to the ground. And then she picks it up again and she tries to run and the whispers tie around her legs and her hands and keep her from moving toward the mouth of the cave. And she is afraid to go to the mouth of the cave anyway. And they grip her hand tightly. And she has no idea why this is happening. And then she runs to the back of the cave And she hears something that says, don't be. And she's never heard meaning from the whispers before. And then she hears, don't talk. She's never perceived that before. And then obey authority. And then she hears, don't perceive, don't think, don't act. And then she realizes that the stick in her hand is what makes her hear the voices of the whispers. And then the stick itself begins to pull her closer and closer and closer to the edge of the mouth of the cave. And finally it pulls her all the way through. And then she looks at the people surrounding the cave as they've been hearing the noises from the cave. And the old woman is there and tells her, don't be afraid, my child. These people won't hurt you. And then she realizes that the old woman is a healer and she wants to become the assistant to that old healer.
0: What a nice story. Yeah.
1: When I was travel teaching in the Midwest, there were a group of young people who came to where I was travel teaching And there was a girl who had tears running down her face before she even heard the story. But after she heard the story, she said, Thank you. That helped me a lot.
0: Phyllis, the next book that you wrote was called Remaining Faithful. Maybe you can tell us what moved you to write this book and what is it about?
1: Oh, yes. That was where I was repeating some of my mistakes. I memorized a quote from Baha'u'llah from the Kitabi Akdas, which is a Baha'i book that is about it's the Book of Laws. And Baha'u'llah says there, O people of the world, follow not the promptings of the self, for it summoneth insistently to wickedness and lust. Follow rather him who is a possessor of all created things, who biddeth you to show forth piety and the fear of God. He verily is independent of all his creatures. Take heed that ye do not stir up mischief in the land after it has been set in order. Well, my life had been set in order. My sexual abuse had been healed. I had a husband who loved me and protected me. My life was in order, and I wasn't going to let something else Take me out of that order and shame me.
0: And then the final book that you have is called Seeking the Spiritual Reality of the Mentally Ill, the Physically Challenged, and the Emotionally Wounded. So, what moved you to write that book and what's it about?
1: Uh, That book is about uh, experiences I have had not only in my own family. But as a travel teacher across the world, because I've I've been to China twice, I've been to Japan three times, Uh, Thailand, uh, Swaziland in Africa, Botswana in Africa, uh, the Marshall Islands, and England. I've had many experiences where people think I'm an expert, but I'm not an expert. But they think I'm an expert, and they turn to me for help, and I go back through what I've studied and learned and researched, not only in the Baha'i writings, but in psychology and theology. The book just comes from my experiences.
0: Can you share a passage from that work?
1: Yes. To make my book readable to people of all religions, I tie it in with the Holy Spirit, Each of the examples that I have worked into this book shows the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It is clear that the Holy Spirit works toward the good in all the world religions. If we realize that that there is no us and them based on differences of religion, race, ethnic group, mental health, physical ability, or wounding, and if we understood that the Holy Spirit is cosmic, working through all the holy books that have been sent to us by God, and keep God's covenant as never before in the hope of developing the virtues we need to serve in capacities we never thought possible, all we have to do is trust, believe, and watch for confirmations. We cannot assume based on our unexamined perceptions that the Holy Spirit is not nurturing all of those whom we do not understand and refuse to hold close in our communities. As Abdul Baha has reminded us, we should look at a person's one good quality and love his or her spiritual reality. And the only way we can help someone who is different than us, who is more wounded than us, who is mentally ill, is to realize that we have to reach out to them from our spiritual realities rather than look at them as different, that we should reach their spiritual reality with our own spiritual reality.
0: Very nice, Phyllis. Thank you.
1: you welcome.
0: You developed a program called Protective Behaviors for Children? Yes. Can you describe that program for us?
1: Yes. I work with children during the year in an after-school program, so I know how to reach out to children. Then I realized that I wanted to help children in countries where there was a high percentage of sexual abuse and also where children were in danger of HIV-AIDS because If they don't get it out right away, that's how the harm comes because it gets buried and the children or the adult keep the secret for 40 years, 50 years. I've read about people who have spoken for the first time about their sexual abuse in their 80s, and that's a long time to keep the secret. That's a long time to keep fear and anger
0: I guess you started your own Skylark Publishing Company? Yes. Do you have a website for Skylark yes. Publishing? Yes. What's the website?
1: The website is com.
0: Okay. Folks can find all of your works there.
1: Yes, I have many free uh, materials on my website. My Protective Behaviors for Children program and its handouts are offered free in English, Spanish, and French. My whole program has been adopted by the government of Botswana. I went there to train the trainers who trained 300 counselors under the Ministry of Social Services in Botswana. They spread it all throughout the country, and my program is even in the Kalahari Desert. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very nice. Well, Phyllis, thank you so much for telling us about your life and the work that you're doing.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for asking. I enjoyed it very much.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Phyllis Peterson, who has devoted her life to helping those in need, an author and creator of Skylark Publishing Company. You can find her work at skylarkpubl.com. That's S-K-Y-L-A-R-K-P-U-B-L.com. Or you could Google it for Skylark Publishing. You can find this interview and other interviews at www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
3: And a joyful, be I will no longer be full of anxiety. Nor will I let trouble harass me. I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. Pleasant unpleasant things of life I will not dwell On the unpleasant things of life Oh God Thou art more friend to me Than I am to myself I dedicate myself to Thee, O oh Lord I dedicate myself to be on Lord. Oh God, refresh and gladden my spirit, my spirit. powers I lay all my affairs in thy hand. I am to myself. I dedicate myself to thee, O Lord. I dedicate myself to thee, O Lord.